This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Utah. Of course it is. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. The adults in this case are Ruby and Kevin Frankie, their six kids, and Ruby's eventual business partner, Jody. The children's full names are all over the internet, but because most of them are minors, we're going to refer to them by the first letter of their first names. So we're going to have female S, who's 20, male C, who is 18, female A, who is 16, female J, who is 14, male R, who is 12, and female E, who is 10. The end of this case will result in multiple charges of aggravated child abuse against women with millions of followers. But first, we have to start at the beginning. All the way back in 2015, Ruby and Kevin Frankie decided they were going to start a family vlog about their big, wholesome LDS family called Eight Passengers. And if people watched, great. Ruby was the obvious star of the show, but the kids were definitely the bulk of the content. They started making videos about hashtag mom life, cooking and homeschool, and holy shit did people watch. Over the next few years, the Eight Passengers YouTube channel grew to over 2 million subscribers. Based on comments from longtime subscribers, the channel started off pretty wholesome. The content seemed normal by most standards, but as time passed, it definitely evolved. One subscriber described it as going from normal to unconventional to almost cult-like. And for anyone who still wants to go to bat for this lady and is pissed that I use the term cult-like, calm down. I'm not calling it a cult. I'm relaying the opinions of longtime consumers of the vlog. Though by the end of this episode, actually by the end of episode two, you can decide whether or not you agree with their assessment. Moving on. Five years into the vlog, so 2020 at this point, Videos surfaced that had viewers wondering if something might be off at the Frankie household. Sure, the Frankies had run a tight ship over the past few years, but things were taking a really icky turn. And a kind of icky that had people questioning whether they might be watching abuse or if they were just watching someone with really uncomfortable boundaries. Let me give you some examples. The video that seemed to break the vlog's back was one where 15-year-old C mentioned that he hadn't had a bedroom for seven months. The Frankie family had recently moved into this massive 5,600-square-foot, seven-bedroom, six-bathroom home, but C wasn't sleeping in a bedroom. No, for the last seven months, he had been sleeping on a beanbag on the living room floor. When C started talking about it, Ruby seemed to kind of shamefully smile and say that she didn't think the viewers knew about that. Now, viewers knew when her daughter started their periods and shaved their legs for the first time. So if there was something the viewers did not know about, it certainly seems that that was by choice. Anywho, C went on to talk about why he thought his room had been taken away, 
which shows here that the reasoning wasn't exactly clear. He just dealt with the punishment going through the vault in his head about what he must have done to deserve it. C landed on a prank that he played on his little brother R, where he'd woken him up in the middle of the night to tell him that they were going to Disney, had him pack, and eventually told him it was a joke. It was a well-thought-out prank, and I can imagine taking my kid's phone away for a few days, making them do some chores or whatever, but C believed that that is why he had been sleeping on a beanbag for seven months. Ruby made sure to clear that up for him, though, saying that it was also taken away because he had hung his little brother up on a basketball hoop and pointed a BB gun at R's face. The basketball hoop thing sounds like some shit a big brother would do, and the BB gun thing is definitely not cool, but it also makes you wonder where the parenting was in that situation. If C thinks his punishment came from the Disneyland prank, one can assume that that's the event that got the biggest reaction out of his parents. Nonetheless, there was laughing when the events were retold in this video, and then Ruby said that it wasn't funny, and if he thought it was, maybe his room needed to be taken away for more than seven months. Seven months is also a really random amount of time here, so you have to wonder if there was actually any end date put in place for this, or if they just eventually decided to allow this 15-year-old boy to have a bed and a room. In two other videos, Ruby filmed herself addressing the fact that her children had forgotten to pack lunch for school. These were different days and different children, but the result was essentially the same for either. In one video, her youngest son, R, forgot his lunch and Ruby tells him, unless you find someone who's willing to share their food with you, I don't think you're going to be able to eat. If you're not responsible for your lunch and your lunch money, that's the natural consequence. The natural consequence here being hunger. Mind you, this woman was walking through her house and sitting on her couch when she filmed this, but she could not be bothered to run up to the school with a lunch. If you squeeze your brain really hard, you might be able to see where she was going with this whole take responsibility life lesson mentality thing that she had going on. But hold on to that for a second because it gets worse. In another video, she films herself in her vehicle saying that she just got a text from her youngest child, E's teacher, who told her that E forgot her lunch that morning and was wondering if Ruby could run by the school and drop some food off for her. Ruby went on this long spiel about how she knows the teacher is uncomfortable that E is hungry and doesn't have lunch, but she's not going to ease the teacher's discomfort by bringing a lunch up there for her. I guess we're not concerned about E's discomfort, but let's keep going. She said that E is responsible for packing her own lunch in the mornings and had even told her mom that she had, so she was going to have to deal with her hunger. She actually stated that E, quote unquote, needs to be hungry and elaborated further saying, hopefully nobody gives her food and nobody steps in and gives her lunch. The kicker here is that E was a whopping six years old. This six-year-old was responsible for packing her own lunch in the morning and for forgetting to do so was going to have to go the entire school day without any food and her mother was full-on rooting against her, hoping that no adult stepped in to nourish her fucking child. 
It seemed clear that Ruby felt like she was teaching her children a valuable lesson in these situations, but all she wound up teaching these children was that even though mom is fully capable of easing physical pain caused by my body needing nourishment, she will not remedy my age-appropriate mistakes. Food seems to have been weaponized in this situation and was even referred to as a privilege. The privilege to eat dinner was threatened when C and R were play fighting on the ground, just kind of wrestling around yelling and laughing, but Ruby wanted it to stop. I wanted to hone in on this video in particular because you can clearly see that she had a really, really big reaction to a very minor issue if you even want to call it an issue at all. Clearly, CNR were having fun and no one was getting hurt. But a common theme in her videos seemed to be that her kids were just, honestly, she acted like they were heathens. Heathens she was happy to make millions off of. Her words, not mine. She claims to have made millions in a video that she made in her next venture, which we'll get to in a bit. So while the Frankie children honestly seemed like normal kids, even on the good side of normal, that's not how Ruby seemed to view them. How do we know this? She fucking videotaped it all. In one video, she interviewed C and asked him where he had been over the summer. He told the viewers that he had been at a camp called Anasazi, and when you look it up, that's a camp for troubled youths. The website states that there's actually a 49-day minimum stay, and this is an expensive program. Ruby talked about how they went to drop him off and their vehicle was surrounded and she seemed to chuckle when she said that she guessed sometimes they had runners. After that, C was carted off to live in the freaking woods and eat vegan while he underwent a suspected minimum of 49 days in intensive behavioral therapy. Judging by the looks of the camp, it's probably designed for children with legal troubles and very serious behavioral concerns, none of which C seemed to fall under. C said that he went there because he was a bad boy, but Ruby insisted that making bad choices doesn't make you bad. I guess it just gets you sent to a freaking wilderness camp. This kid slept on a damn beanbag, then was sent off to a camp for troubled youths. Of course, he's going to think he's bad. When in reality, if you watch these videos, he seems like a pretty good kid. Ruby went on to ask him how he felt about being back on camera after being away from technology for so long. And what in the actual fuck, lady? She didn't ask him what he had learned, you know, if he was so bad and needed it so much. She essentially asked him how it felt to be content again. Ruby was definitely in control of pretty much everything, and there always seemed to be some kind of lesson she was hoping the kids would learn. They just didn't seem to know they were constantly being tested. In one video, she called the kids to the dinner table and showed them a trash bag full of their things. The kids all seemed to collectively gasp and asked if she was throwing it all away. Kevin and Ruby explained that in the trash bag was a mixing bowl of all of their stuff, and if they wanted it back, they could pay cash for it. The purpose was, I guess, to teach them the value of the items, but C's freaking homework was in that bag. The kids were told that if they didn't want to pay cash for their stuff back, they could do an equal value chore and anything that wasn't retrieved by the end of the night would be thrown away. What exactly is the monetary value of C's homework? The kid came home, did his homework, then his parents put it in a garbage bag and told him that he could pay cash for it or earn it back 
Either that or it would be thrown away. Can you imagine the beanbag wilderness camp wrath that would unfold if he didn't turn in his homework and got a zero? And if he just so happened to tell his teacher that he couldn't turn it in because his parents had bagged it up and asked him to pay for it or work for it? It's like these kids were constantly set up to fail. So far, it seems like C was taking the brunt of Ruby's distaste, but eventually it seemed to fall on the two youngest kids. You guys heard about the lunch incidents with R and E, but it got even more icky. In one video, Ruby noted that she was probably going to get a lot of shit for this, and if Ruby can see that far ahead of herself, you know it's probably going to be bad. While sitting on her bed, Ruby went on to say that her two youngest kids, so R and E, had been showing long patterns of selfishness and an unwillingness to feel sorrow or repent for what she called pretty egregious choices. If I call something egregious, it's going to be some heinous shit. But we know that Ruby threatens the privilege to eat dinner when you're play fighting. So go ahead and temper what egregious might actually mean to her. She said, and I quote, I was hoping that like keeping them home from school and wiping the floorboards would like really bring pain, but they apparently just viewed it as a fun day off from school. She talked about how they needed to experience visceral moments, but claimed that R and E were just too numb. So she and Kevin had decided to take Christmas away to make them feel that viscery, i.e. deep emotional feelings. Ruby stated that instead of presence, R and E would be getting the gift of truth, repentance, and boundaries, while the other four kids would be getting the gifts they'd been thinking about all year long. Again, on the surface, if you squeeze your brain hard enough, you can almost see how she landed on this absurdly large reaction, but you'd probably assume the kids were lighting the fucking house on fire or something, but they most certainly were not. In fact, in a video which appears to have been about R turning 10, both Kevin and Ruby talked about he was born thinking of other people and that they didn't think he could tell a lie even if he tried. R was the kind of kid, and this actually happened, who cried for his mom when he found out that she had dropped and broken her favorite casserole dish. E even talked about getting her a new one if she picked her name. And I can only assume that was some kind of reference to maybe a secret Santa situation. Not only was this truth and repentance themed Christmas going to be emotionally grueling for two very young children whose mom couldn't be bothered to bring them lunch. It was also putting the older four siblings in a really awkward position. They were going to have to figure out how to balance being excited for the presents on Christmas morning and not expanding the emotional wound that their younger siblings were already feeling. Other videos included instances where Ruby approached R and mentioned that he seemed to be hiding or avoiding her, and she asked if it was because he was feeling shame or embarrassment. Really weird question to ask, but R was obviously sad, and he said that he had no friends, couldn't go anywhere, and had no TV or iPad. A lot of the other children also echoed that they too had no friends. Another video mentioned how one of the girls wet the bed, and even though Ruby stated it only happened maybe once every eight months or so, the child's bed was not remade for her. She was just told to sleep in the bathroom for the rest of the night.
knew that there were family vloggers out there, but I never really dove into that world. Ruby's own sisters, three of them, also have family vlogs where all of them have over 1 million subscribers, except for one. And that one outlying channel still has a hefty amount of subscribers. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum, but I am going to do a little bit of a hot take here and talk about the ickiness that comes from your children being your content. I can tell you that from my point of view as a podcaster, it can be difficult on your mental health because people only know the parts of you that you share and they fill in the rest. You're constantly worried about living up to the image of what you think your listeners have created for you. And that's a lot of pressure. And honestly, you did put that on yourself. But kids don't ask for any of this and they are not emotionally mature enough to know how to deal with it. Now, this is only my opinion, but in the case of Ruby, it almost seems like she created a vision of how she wanted the world to view her life, which included how she wanted them to view her children. It was like these kids, when they were just being kids, little tiny individuals trying to figure out who they were, what they liked, and what personality fit them best, were constantly being tested to see if they were living up to the invisible standard created by Ruby and inadvertently the viewers who had consumed her children as content. From the outside looking in, it seemed like there was no winning for these kids. Growing up was content. Sadness was content. Punishment was content. Individuality, humanity, and room for human error seemed to just be background noise. Again, this is only my opinion, but I get the vibe that Ruby wanted kids so that they could love her and not so she could love them. And she lost her damn shit when they weren't everything that she had decided in her head that they should be. There was actually a video where at Jay's birthday, Ruby started filming a gift that she gave her and it was a gold ring. Apparently, Ruby had given Jay a gold ring on her eighth birthday and that ring used to be Ruby's, but Jay grew out of it. She was giving Jay a new one, but the reason was absolutely bizarre. She said, and I quote, Every day when I would see it on your hand, I would remember that you really are precious and you really are a jewel. And it would remind me to treat you with a lot of respect and love. And so really, that ring is for me. So when I see you wear it, it reminds me to treat you with love and to remember just how precious you are. Ruby was literally giving her daughter a ring that reminded her of herself so she would be reminded to treat Jay with love. What the fuck is happening in this universe? And I hate that I have to keep reminding everyone that something is my opinion, and I'll have a whole lot of those when it comes to this case, but when other YouTubers and content creators started making their own videos about how concerned they were with Ruby's behavior and parenting, they were met with threats of legal action. One YouTuber talked to Fox 31 and said that after she made a video sharing her concerns for the Frankie children and even calling CPS to just go out and check on them, she got an email that stated the following. We represent family vlog channel 8 passengers who continue to be harmed by defamatory videos uploaded to YouTube by your client. In addition to reputational and financial damage to my clients, the videos uploaded by your client have resulted in harassment of my clients and even inspired a baseless child protective services visit to their home, which traumatized their children. I'd be willing to bet that a whole lot more traumatized those children and it was not everyone fucking caring. 
This viewer made a great point in saying that you're constantly told if you see something, say something, but they said something and they were threatened with legal action. And this YouTuber was not the only person concerned. Hell, if you have listened to all of this, I'm willing to bet that you're wondering what happened next because you're concerned too. But it wasn't that simple. A lot of people struggle with whether or not what they were witnessing was abuse at the level of needing to involve authorities, or if it was just extreme parenting that didn't teeter to the side of abuse yet. For those who couldn't seem to be sure, a petition was created. The petition asked people to sign if they believed CPS needed to be contacted. The petition grossed more than 17,000 signatures and rest assured, CPS was called, but not just by viewers. One neighbor told NBC that she contacted CPS several times and knows that other neighbors contacted as well. KSL reports that in the last four and a half years, police have been called to the house 15 times, and at least five of those times were in reference to the well-being of the children. Ruby's own estranged sister made a statement that she had been trying to get CPS and the police involved for years, and what I think is the most important report for help was called in by Ruby's oldest daughter, S, who contacted authorities to report that her siblings had been left at home alone for days while her mom went to St. George with her friend, Jody. S, who is now 20, left the home and made a statement around the time it looks like she contacted authorities, saying she's not in contact with her immediate family. Very choice wording there, and that's because she was in contact with the family that she had previously been cut off from, namely Ruby's estranged sister. Sherry stated that she didn't agree with the extreme beliefs of connections, spelled C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N-S, and while that means nothing to you at this moment, it's about to, so hold on to it. In an old video, oldest daughter S vlogged about her day taking care of the kids and essentially how easy they were to watch. But at the end of that video, she talks about how she logged into her bank account and noticed that her savings account had been wiped out. She said she contacted the bank and learned that the money had been taken out little by little through wire transfers, and at times, money was even transferred into the savings account, almost to make it look like it was S doing it. The bank said that it looked like someone who had access to the account was likely the one responsible since they had to go in and change some numbers and they would not be refunding the money unless they could prove that someone else was responsible. It's shady and I do not know the outcome here, but what I do know was that she said that savings account was her saving money for college. S was saving her own money for college while Ruby was out here telling the world that she was making millions and those millions were made off of her children being her content. Ruby even said in a video that her biggest fear since starting the vlog was that one day her kids would wake up and just stare at a wall and she wouldn't have anything to film. And just because I want to put this out into the world, the Salt Lake Tribune reported that during COVID, Ruby took out more than $80,000 in federal payroll protection loans, which were designed to make sure that small businesses could continue to pay their employees. But the only employees listed for her company were Ruby herself and her husband, Kevin. As someone who works in the same kind of realm here, 
I can tell you that even when the world was shut down, people still listened to podcasts and watched YouTube because it's free to do and people had nothing but time on their hands. It certainly was not even remotely comparable to people who worked out in office buildings, factories, stores, etc., who were seeing less business and needed to supplement income to continue to be able to pay their employees. KSL reports that those payroll protection loans have since been forgiven. Getting back on track here, once the internet responded to the concern about the missing lunches, lack of a bedroom, and everything else that raised red flags about Ruby, she and Kevin went on the defense. Ruby told Insider that people were taking the videos out of context and that any reasonable person wouldn't have seen that video and thought she's a child abuser, and that statement will age horribly. Kevin even chimed in telling Insider that people give them all this grief claiming they're exploiting their children for money, while all of these people out here are exploiting their children for personal gain. Granted, I don't know what personal gain comes out of being concerned that the Frankie children weren't being fed or had a bed to sleep in, but that's what he said. Nonetheless, the public scrutiny was at an all-time high, and in January of 2021, the Eight Passengers YouTube account stopped uploading videos. Now, a lot of people speculated that maybe it was because of the backlash, but I have to wonder if maybe there was another reason. Maybe her marriage was crumbling in slow motion. It's one thing to have to convince the world that a wilderness camp is the best choice for your child, but a failing marriage seems like it might derail the entire image they had tried to portray for years of this perfect, happy family. Kevin's sister-in-law, his brother's wife, spoke to the Daily Mail, and while they didn't seem to have had any contact with the Frankie family in like a decade like everyone else they had cut off, it does sound like they might have gotten a little bit of the inside scoop of what was going on in that household. His sister-in-law told the Daily Mail that in 2021 or 2022, they heard that Jody Hildebrandt moved into the Frankie home. Why, do you ask? Well, apparently, she was counseling them in their marriage. The sister-in-law heard that part of that counseling entailed separating the two to opposite sides of the house, and they were only allowed to speak with one another when Jody was present. Because nothing says save this marriage like living on opposite sides of the house and having no freedom of communication without an observer. The sister-in-law went on to say that Kevin reportedly had a checklist of things he could do to be better, and if he checked the items off, he was praised, and if he didn't, he was chastised by other men in a men's group. A men's group which was a part of Connections, that group we mentioned earlier. According to the Daily Mail, by the time July of 2022 rolled around, Kevin was out of the house and into a townhome not too far away. Living with him in that townhome was reportedly someone called a minder who would watch over him. This sounds wild because it is. When the Frankie's oldest daughter, S, moved out, she told the sister-in-law that she tried to contact her dad but couldn't because she had been blocked on everything, social media, cell phone, everything. The sister-in-law stated that S thinks that Kevin has been brainwashed into thinking he's a bad person, as if he blocked his entire family because he thinks that he's a danger to them.
We all know that S called authorities because she was concerned that her siblings had been left at home alone for days so that Ruby and Jody Hildebrandt could go to St. George. Jody is Miss Connections and Ruby went into business with her for Connections. Eight passengers might have been a thing of the past, but Connections was a new shiny toy where Ruby and Jody could give, I shit you not, parenting advice via YouTube, Facebook, and their podcast. The outcome is as horrifying as you might think it is, like saying one of the members' anorexic daughters was just trying to manipulate them through control, and that children have no right to privacy, and if they want it, they can go out and get their own four walls. The constant buzzwords they used were truth, always with a capital T, and distortion. Truth did not mean honesty, it meant God's truth, and distortion was essentially the word they used anytime someone disagreed with them or did something they didn't personally agree with. People were distorted because they were anxious, they were distorted because they were depressed, and they were distorted because they thought kids did have a right to privacy. The reviews of the Connections contents were abysmal as to be expected, and Jody went so far as to make a video to complain about it. She said, and I quote, Those people, because they get so mad that they can't control what's going on, they turn right around and give us a one-star review. Now, we made it really easy for them to do that because we've been trying to make it really easy for you to give us a five-star review. We've put the link on the bottom of every single post, so all you have to do is click the link and give us a five-star review. That's as simple as it is, but you guys aren't doing it. I think we've had five people from the last time I asked, which was probably a month ago, five out of almost 9,000. Five people gave us a review that's a five, and we've probably had 50 to 75 people give us one-star reviews. So we started with a five, and in three months, we're down to like a two. She went on to add, This is why aggression and evil have dominated our world, because there's too many of us who want to live in truth that are not standing up. So please, at a minimum, please, I don't understand why you won't do it. Go to Moms of Truth, which is a Facebook page. There's a link underneath every single video that says, give us a review. Click it and give us a five star, please. It will get our rating back up. And I can't stand Google. I think it's the stupidest thing that somebody's done because it's misused, blah, blah, blah. You get where this little temper tantrum is going. She felt like she was entitled to praise because her shitty little brain believed the garbage that she was spewing and never once thought that maybe she was the problem. And that's why 75 people were motivated to shit on her and only five were willing to high five her for her bullshit. Thoughts and prayers to those five people because I'm going to go ahead and guess that those were taken down real fast when we get to what happened in the last month. Over the years, neighbors had had their concerns. We know that some had called authorities to check on the kids, and some of that included instances where they were playing in the street unattended and just wandering around the neighborhood when you would assume they should have been in school. A neighbor told NBC News that he thought all of the kids were left alone for weeks at a time with no adult supervision and said that E would come over to look for someone to play with, but there was no one because their kids were in school. When this neighbor told E that it would be about four hours or so until their child got home, E simply stated that she would wait. We know that S called authorities in September of 2022 to report that her siblings had been left home alone while Ruby and Jody went to St. George, and that seems to be when the real demise began. That call came in on September 18th, and according to KSL, police responded, knocked on the door, and did see children inside, but they wouldn't open the door. They just kind of scattered and hid from view. 
Neighbors kind of collected outside to watch it all unfold, and police report indicates that all neighbors seemed genuinely concerned for the kids' well-being. Follow-ups were made on the 22nd, 23rd, 26th, and October 3rd, but it doesn't seem like anything was really accomplished. One officer told KUTV that the Frankies weren't very cooperative. A neighbor told Rolling Stone that at one point, Ruby went full foil hat and taped paper up over the windows, I guess so that nobody could see in, but I mean, she was constantly uploading content, so people were seeing in whether she understood that or not, and her new content was not making anyone feel any better. In April of last year, it honestly could be this year, but it really seems like it was April of 2022. It gets a little hazy, but KSL reports that neighbors started to notice the absence of the younger Frankie children. They didn't seem to be outside anymore or walking to church, but neighbors in another home about three or so hours away started to notice them. What happened next and the event that finally led to Ruby and Jody's arrest will have to wait until Monday. For photos pertaining to this case, check out the highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there today at noon Eastern where we go live and talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind, though I do want to hear what all of you are thinking. I know a lot of you have been following this and requesting this case over and over. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you part two of this case in a few days on Monday, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Okay, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode, and that means it's time for me to read a review that made my entire day because I love you guys so much. This one is from Lindsay C and says, I stumbled upon this podcast about a week ago, and now I listen to it daily at work. Seriously, love the tone that's set for these podcasts. You guys bring light and humor to dark situations. Love getting big mad with you guys. Heart emoji. Like 11 heart emojis to you, Lindsay C. I love you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to say something nice to me. You didn't have to do that. You're the best. It truly does make my day. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate every single one of you. You guys have the biggest hearts. You're the coolest people. You're the least problematic group of people I think I've ever run into. And I'm pretty pumped that we're like all best friends. So if you go around saying like, oh, my friend, tell me about this case. Like, it's true. We're friends. You're allowed to tell people I'm your friend. And we talked about this case. So go ahead and do that. Your podcaster is your best friend. Anywho, I'm rambling. I love you guys so much. I appreciate you so much. I will talk to you soon. Okay, love you. Bye.